I want to invite you to your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 6 is going to be the, the main text. I'm going to grab a couple of texts uh, in Luke earlier, uh, but we're going to be in Luke pretty much from now through May. Uh, I won't preach that consistent for every minute from now through May, but that's my best attempt at a joke. You weren't paying attention whatsoever, were you? So, uh, so Luke 6, we're going to be at here in a few moments, but... Uh, this summer we had a great time traveling as a family. We got to go to the national, several national parks. I just think the national park system is really cool. I'm so thankful for Theodore Roosevelt who had that vision to establish national parks to uh, preserve a lot of the natural wonders of, of our country. And I've been reading a book of this guy who tried to tour all the national parks in, in one, one year. And one of the tarp parks that he was visiting to that I've not been to yet, but it's piqued my curiosity, is Great Sand Dunes National Park. Has anybody been to the Great Sand Dunes National Park? It's in Colorado. Okay, so yeah, it looks cool. I, there should be a picture somewhere that we might even be able to see on the screen, but it's got the pictures of the Rocky Mountains, and maybe I didn't put it, there it is, yeah. Okay, so we got the Rocky Mountains, and then you got these cool little sand dunes. It just looks really, really neat. Um, and one of the cool things that uh, some of the scientists that work at the national parks, they, they say, you know, you bring your cameras to the national parks, or phones now, uh, and you take the sights, but he said there's so many cool sounds at the national parks, or just anywhere, that it's really good to take a microphone or some type of recording to actually capture some of the the sounds and they have these systems where they'll set up microphones for several days at a time to capture the sounds of these national parks and I still remember being with one of my my dear brothers we were fishing uh, a couple years ago and you know just dusk had come so it was we were calling it a day Uh, didn't have any fish on my lines anyway so uh, we're we're leaving and it was at Jim Edgar Park over there at one of the lakes and we heard this whipper the whippoorwill uh, bird, you know, the whippoorwill, whippoorwill, whippoorwill. Is that how it works? Is that about it? <laughs> this is the best I've got today, folks. I'm sorry, okay? So um, I should have played his recording because I don't know where he pulls his phone out, hits record, and then he's playing it back. I think he posted it on fo- Facebook or something. He's like, those are cool sounds. We don't hear those every day. And I was like, wasn't really even paying attention. Just kind of heard a bird out there. Didn't know what it was. But we miss a lot of things because we're not listening for them. And what's cool about the Great Sand Dunes National Park is it's with all the sound, they said this, the acoustics there are just amazing, that it's quieter than any recording studio you'll ever be there in. And he said you can hear planes from hundreds of miles away because the acoustics there at Great Sand Dunes National Park is just a really neat wonder that God has given to us. And there's other places like that. Where the snow, the snow this week, you know, it's just, you, you hear stuff that you would never hear because everything's just blanketed with, with that ground cover. So the goal here today is to pay attention to our hearing and what we are missing by not listening to the sounds around us. In Luke's gospel, the word hearing or listening comes 65 times. So it's almost, well, not quite three times every chapter. And so I want to encourage you as you're reading through Luke this next few weeks, just to kind of keep an eye out for when people are listening, when people are hearing, because that's an important skill and it's an important theme that Luke wants us to catch. 
The first time we see uh, the word hearing or listening is in chapter 1, verse 41. If you want to find your Bible, it's Luke chapter 1, verse 41. And it's with Mary and Elizabeth. They're both pregnant. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Elizabeth, whose husband was very kind to say to the angel, she's very old and is having a baby. And Mary comes to visit her cousin. And it's in uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. Do you hear that? She heard Mary's greeting. So maybe it's like, hi, Elizabeth. She heard the greeting from Mary. It says that the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Just at the sound of the words of Mary bringing Jesus... Something happened, and John the Baptist said, hey, that's my cousin. <laughs> Did one of those somersaults in the womb. And then it says that the Holy Spirit came upon Elizabeth. That's not an everyday occurrence. Pretty cool. You go to chapter 2, and there's some other things that are happening. The, the shepherds are keeping watch over their flocks at night. Angels show up. Hey, today in the city of David, a, a, a baby has been born, Christ the Lord. And the, the, the shepherds, they go and they see the baby, and then they start to go tell everyone what they had experienced. And it's in Luke chapter 2, verse 18. It says, and all who heard the shepherd's testimony, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. So the shepherds are saying, hey, this is a cool thing. Baby just been born. Angels showing up. And the people who are hearing this are like, whoa, this is amazing. You go down two verses later, and the shepherds are reflecting on what just happened. Christmas night. Verse 20, Luke chapter 2. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. What'd they hear that night? Well, great chorus of angels. That's pretty amazing. You know, the heavenly host showing up today, city of David, Savior, Christ, the Lord, baby. Seeing some shiny things probably in the sky. They go to this stable. They might be hearing some animals. What else did they hear that night? I think they heard a baby cry. Let's be honest. When we hear babies cry, that's not the first thing to think about. This is a great day. But when that baby cried that night, they praised God. For what they had heard, God had come to rescue his people. They heard something that night and they could not keep it to themselves and they went and started sharing it with others. You go through Luke's gospel some more. Last week when we went fishing, the, the, the story starts out there in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the Word of God. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to hear the Word of God. Hopefully that's happening in this moment. We're hearing God's words. And my prayer is that you hear God's Word, not my words. And so you go to chapter two, chapter 6. We're just kind of moving through. We're going to anchor the rest of our time here 
in Luke 6. We'll go catch Deuteronomy 6 before we're out of here. But I want you to hear some of the words of Jesus. In Luke 6, Jesus comes to this level place. It's in verse 17, Luke chapter 6. It says that he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd was there, a great number of people from over Judea, Jerusalem, from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. That's over a hundred mile span. And they're coming to hear, it says, verse 18, who had come to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch Jesus. Check this out. Because power was coming from Him and healing them all. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but that sounds amazing. We want to touch this guy because there's something special about him. And so this, people describe this as Jesus is the sermon on the level place, the, the sermon on the plain, because of verse 17, they go down to the level place. It sounds a lot like when Jesus preached a sermon on a mountain from Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The reason we call it the Sermon on the Mount, because it says Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down and taught his disciples. That's Matthew's account. Luke's account says he went down to a level place. Some people say, well, these are, the Bible's contradicting itself. No, probably Jesus preached more than one sermon, didn't he? And he probably preached in a lot of different places. He preached in, in mountains. He preached in level places. He preached in the city. He preached in remote areas where he had to feed 5,000 people because there was no Wendy's or McDonald's. So he preached in a lot of different places, and he probably used some similar sermon material. So this is another edition of some of the teachings of Jesus. And so they're hearing some things. And he talks about it in verse 20. He says, look at, he's looking at his disciples. He said, hey, blessed are those who are poor. It's a good thing if you're poor. That doesn't make sense, does it? Blessed are those who are hungry now. You'll be filled with, you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. You will laugh. Verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you. Really? When they exclude you and insult you, reject you, your name is evil because of the Son of Man. Verse 23, rejoice in that day, leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. And so we start to kind of unpack some of those. That sounds a little bit like what we heard earlier in Matthew 5, those Beatitudes. So these are some of the words of Jesus that they would have heard that day he goes on and says woe to you who are rich woe to you who are well fed woe to you who laugh woe to you when everyone speaks well of you for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets so he's trying to get their attention he's teaching them some upside down values here then in verse 27 he says but to those of you who are listening those who are hearing i say love your enemies Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Verse 35, he says, You love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. You will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. I underline those words in my Bible. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's usually not our first thought, is it? No, we want, him to, we want God to get him. But if you think about it, if he's kind to the ungrateful and wicked, then maybe he's going to be kind to me. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you to kind of look through some of this stuff I just read, and I want you to pick one of these things out and work on it this week. 
So just kind of start thinking, what's God stirring in your heart? He talks about do not judge, verse 37, or you will not be judged, do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. We talked about our giving. That's where I snuck that verse in with Nick. Do you see how I'm doing? You've got to watch me. I'm tricky. Okay, so that's verse 6 about giving and generous and things like that. Um, he talks about verse 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Then verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Things like that. And what I've said all this is to get us to our text today. I'm just finally getting to the sermon text. But give me, it's, well, trust me, I'll get us out of here before lunch. Verse 46, Jesus wraps up this sermon with a question and a story. The question is this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Word for Lord is king, ruler, you're in charge. Why do you call me the king, but you don't act like one of my subjects? You say you love me, but you don't do what I tell you to do. Any moms or dads said that this week? Here's how it looks like at our house. Someone, and I'll, be, I'll say me too, I'm not innocent in all this, but will say, I'm sorry. And then it's usually followed up with, if you're really sorry, you'll stop doing what you're doing. You know what I'm talking about, moms, dads? If you're really sorry, you would change your behavior. And we just kind of think if we just say the words, I'm sorry, then that's the free pass and we move on. Which is somewhat true because we do want to be forgiving. We want to be gracious. But there has to be some type of change. So why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you say I'm sorry if you don't really mean it? Joel Green says it this way. How can you give God allegiance? How can they speak of allegiance and not grant it? You're saying that you are the king, but you're really not going to follow what he has to say. So there's dangers there. Why do we not do that? Why do we call Jesus Lord, Lord, but we really don't always do what he says? I think for me, sometimes it's peer pressure. Still kind of concerned about what people are looking at. And you hear Jesus say this thing, and then you start looking at other people and like, boy, if I do what he says, then these people are going to think differently. And we just wrestle with that. But I think Jesus wants us to do what he says. For others, what Jesus asks us to do is hard, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's hard to follow Jesus. And so doing the right thing, what, what Jesus wants, is just plain hard, and we're just lazy sometimes. I think that's sometimes why we say, Lord, Lord, but we don't always do what he says. I think another reason why we say, Lord, Lord, but we don't do what he says is because we don't know what he said. We don't get into God's word enough to even know what he wants us to do. Shame on us. So we need to know what he says so that we can do it. Maybe we're just plain ignorant. I really didn't know that's what God wanted me to do. Well, we need to be in some relationships and some groups or something where we're getting into God's word where we're saying, okay, I hear what you're saying, God, and I will do that. So that's the question Jesus ponders. Here's the, here's the story he tells. He's going to give us a positive example, and he's going to close with a warning. But here's the positive example. He says, For as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, three, pa- three parts there, comes to me, hears my words, puts them into practice, I will show what you are like. So you've got to come to Jesus, 
hear what he has to say, and then do what he says. He says they're like this. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. I love Jesus' teaching because last week we're fishing, this week we're building the houses. He's just earthy. He's just kind of like, we know what this looks like. We've seen a house built. What's fun about this is this man is building a house and there's three different actions that's happening that, that our English kind of captures a little bit. So first action is just digging. You just got to dig. The section, second action, there's another verb here, deepening. It's like dig deeping, dig deep. So not only dig, you got to dig down deep. The third verb, you're laying a foundation and that foundation is on a rock. So you're not just enough to dig, not enough to dig deep. You've got to dig enough deep to get to a rock. And in Illinois, you've got to dig a long ways for that. In Missouri, it's not quite so, so hard. In Missouri, when we dig holes, do you know how we do it by hand? Uh, you get a shovel and you throw it away. You don't need a shovel when you're digging holes in Missouri. In Missouri, you need a pickaxe. And you just start breaking up whatever you can get to. And then the next stage is you have this big, heavy bar. I just call it a ram bar. I don't know what the thing is. But then you just start doing this number and just breaking the rocks up until your arms are tired. And then you hand it to the next guy and he does it for a while. And then you have one of those, I'll call them the post diggers, you know, the two-handled things where you kind of ram it in. And so after you break all that up, then you pull it out. That's how we dig holes in Missouri. Do you know that? There's rocks there in Missouri, okay? Like big ones. There's this much dirt if you're lucky, and then there's just rocks bigger than your fist until you get to the center of the earth's core. (laughs) I'm serious. I mean, that's what it looks like where I grew up. But I think that's the picture. Dig down deep, put that house on a rock. That's why when we built this thing, we moved lots of dirt and we put lots of concrete all around here. They're called footings. And so you dig down deep and put a foundation on a rock. What's cool about rock is that's the name that Jesus gave to Peter. You are now Simon Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, which is talking about Jesus is Lord. You're Messiah. You're the king. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? So you got the picture here of digging down deep on a rock rock. And what's the picture of? It's the picture of someone who hears the words, who comes to Jesus and puts them into practice. This is the concept that they would have known about in the Old Testament. And our Hebrew Bible tells us this. If you have your Bibles, I want to take you to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. My friend was talking to me about it. And in the, in the Hebrew Bible, when you would see the word hear, or you would hear the word here, it meant hear and do. It's all in one word. There's not a word for hear this and do this. It's all, if you hear it, you're going to do it. But we don't think that way. But here's how God says it in Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel. You hear it right there? Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you are to be upon your hearts. Pay attention to that word heart. Because if you go back to our text, right before our verse, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his 
heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if we're going to hear and do, it's got to take place in our heart. Hear God's word, and it's got to find a good soil in our heart. Jump over to Luke chapter 8, verse 18. Let me make sure I'm doing that right. Verse 15. Luke chapter 8, verse 15. Jesus is telling a story about soil and dirt and seeds. And he says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, hold on to it, and by persevering produce a crop, hearing, doing, working. Go down to verse 21. Jesus replied, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. So we hear and we do. We sing about it, trust and obey. So what kind of house are you digging? Are you digging down deep? I want to invite you this week to look through Luke 6 that we're reading through and find something, some teaching of Jesus that you can dig on this week and you can lay your foundation strong on. As I think about digging, uh, I think about my dear brother we just laid to rest yesterday, uh, Tom Ely, 90 years old, faithful saint, had his Bible by his chair till the day he died. He heard God's word and he did it. And when we were building this building back in 08, uh, he and his brother dug a lot of holes here. A lot of holes. We had, still do at times, have a little drainage problem because when everything is flat, the water doesn't like go anywhere except stay. So he and his brother dug tiles everywhere. And I mean, I can still remember Tom, you know, holding the post and, you know, measuring things. And this was knee deep in dirt every, you know, lots of places. Dug the septic tanks, everything, all kinds of stuff. And uh, one day I was, we were still doing construction. And I don't know how I got on this job, probably because they, I just was my day that for that. And so part of the goal was we're going to we have gutters on the, house, on the building, right? You run gutters, and they go downspouts. And then we're going to tie the downspouts into these four-inch drain tiles that are going to go in these bigger drain tiles to keep all the water away from our building. Isn't that nice? Aren't you glad that people thought enough to do that for you? It really should be. Uh, so, so I was given a shovel and said, dig this hole for this drain pipe right outside the fellowship hall. Problem, in my mind, this drain pipe has got to go under four feet of sidewalk over there. And I'm like, why didn't we just like put the pipe in first and then pour the concrete? I was mad. I'm like, why did we do it this way? And so I start digging for like 10 minutes and I get about that deep and I think this is dumb. I don't know why we did this. I think this is hard work. Uh, and so those automatic negative thoughts, those, those ants that we have to squash, uh, and I just like, there's no, this is impossible. You can't do this. And Tom Ely comes at 78, 75 years old. He took the shovel and he started working. I'm like, oh, good luck, buddy. I'm out of here, man. And I just go. I leave. I don't know. Go off my day. Go have lunch, whatever. Come back a couple hours later. Tom's sitting there on, his, on, on the ground. And he's finishing that hole. He got that whole hole dug underneath that sidewalk. 
couple hours' time. Didn't say a word. Didn't rib me, razz me, whatever. He just sat there and did it. Felt about that big. It's time. But that's an example of what it looks like to dig down deep and to hear God's word and to put it into practice. It's just slow, steady, long time. So if you want to build a strong foundation for your life, it's just going to be a slow, steady plod in the same direction as we put God's word into our lives and put it into practice. That's the positive example, but Jesus closes with a warning. You go to Luke chapter 6, verse 49. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. The word there is mega. The destruction is mega. That's the last word of the sermon. Big collapse. Boom. Have a nice day. That's how Jesus finishes the sermon. Warning. Notice both builders hear the word. They both hear it. They're both building a house. Both have rain or floods come up. And the word for flood there is where we get our word hippopotamus. The word potamus is river there. So the river comes up against both of their houses. But the house that was dug down deep stands strong because it is well built. This one has no deep down foundation. It's just laid right on the ground. And when the flood comes, it is, falls in, comes together. Big, mega crash. Did you hear the story of this summer down in Florida? Surfside condominiums, 13 floors came crashing down. About 100 people died. And they did some research. And they said it didn't come just from the top down. There's stuff that was happening down deep. There's stuff in the parking garage on near floor near Miami. It's uh, down in the parking garage. They started seeing some cracks and, and there were warning signs and they said, you might want to think about this. They heard the words. Didn't do anything about it. Call it a progressive collapse. There's other theories that maybe the floodwaters, the salt water may have eaten away at some of that concrete way down because you can't see what's happening, but there's water and everything underneath there, and maybe that eroded at some of the foundation. But that hotel looked fine for years, and then one day it just came tumbling down. A great big crash, mega crash. Let's be honest, most of us don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to cheat on my wife, or I'm going to pick up a habit, a drug habit. No, it just is a slow progression. You get frustrated, or you fail to resolve conflict in the relationship, and then you start to notice someone, and then you just kind of visit a little bit longer on break, and then maybe you go out with a group after work, and before long, you are far from home. And people are just like, how did that happen? 
And in a, in a, in a sense, it's, a one, it's an instant thing. Boom, things come crashing down. But when you look back, there was a series of choices where you chose to isolate yourself from your support system or your family, your friends, your church. And the crash can be great. So Jesus gives us some very vivid images, and I'll be honest, I scares me to death to be in that builder that's not going to work hard to build that foundation on a deep. But if we're not careful, it could happen to any of us. And so what's the solution? Well, I hinted at it already. You look at the word here, H-E-A-R, see it there on the screen? H-E-A-R. And you add one letter to it, H-E-A-R-T, your heart. And if you take it a step further, that letter T looks a little bit like a cross. So if you want to have a cross-shaped life, it's going to start in your heart. If you've got a good heart, you're hearing the words and it's finding root into your heart, then it's going to come out in your life. But it's going to have to be touched by the love of Jesus. We can't just go out there and do this on our own power. We need some help. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Because you're the only one who can help me. That's why. And so we summarize it this way. Disciples respond to Jesus when we hear his words. And I probably should add another word to it or two in our heart. So it's not enough just to hear it. We've got to capture it in our heart and then we can respond. Scary verses, but a good reminder. And remember, he's kind and loving to the evil and the ungrateful. And I'm so thankful that he is.